if you're new, we have been looking at what we call the five vital signs of active membership at University Presbyterian Church. Five vital signs. These are five biblical indicators of spiritual health. These are five commitments that we make at UPC to Jesus and to one another so that we can be a part of a healthy, strong, vibrant church that loves Jesus. What they are is formation, community, worship, mission, and giving. Today we're gonna be looking at mission. For some of you, this is an introduction. Uh, You're new to Jesus. For some of us though, this is kind of an invitation or an encouragement to get off the bench and onto the field, okay? The pandemic benched a bunch of us and it's time for us like reactivate, right? So that's why we're looking at these vital signs. Try to be intentional about connecting to Jesus and to one another, taking the next step uh, in our faith journey together. Uh, So today, as I say, it's mission. I wanna think about mission. And we come to the teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 and 34, page 825 of the Pew Bible. Would you open to that now, however you, you can find it? And let's stand, if you're able, and we'll read God's word aloud together as an act of worship. So we're turning to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, the scribe asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. It's the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. You might keep the Bible open. Look at that again. Here's my question. Did Jesus answer his question? I don't mean to be disrespectful, but did Jesus answer the question? The scribe comes up to Jesus and he says, give me one commandment. Give me one, which one is the greatest of all the commandments? And what does Jesus do? Let me see if I can give you two. No, I'm asking you for one. He goes, I want to give you two. Not one. What's the greatest one? And there's Jesus going, gosh, right? They're thinking maybe we got him. Maybe we stumped the pro. We were told by earlier in chapter 11 that this is the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. And they're looking for the greatest commandment. And Jesus is starting to look puzzled. He's backing away. Is is he stuck? And then Jesus takes a stab at it. He goes, love God 
And he gets that from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. Love God. Good answer, Jesus. And I think he keeps talking quickly because we know the scribe wants to respond, but the scribe can't quite break in after Jesus gives the greatest commandment. And Jesus, speaking quickly, goes, and love your neighbor. And he gets that from Leviticus 19. So see what he did there. Jesus like mashed two up into one. He did answer the question, technically. But what I notice is that he refuses to separate these two things that to Jesus are most important. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, scholars tell us that Jesus did something amazing in that moment. I don't know if you noticed it, but he did something kind of history making. He did something that never before in all of humanity had been done in combining the love of God with the love of neighbor as though they were a single commandment. There had been talk of loving God or gods. There had been talk of loving neighbors or humanity. But when Jesus combines the two, he does what one scholar calls, he accomplishes a revolutionary achievement. (laughs) A scholar refers to this as a revolutionary achievement to put those two things together. See, Jesus can't pull them apart. For Jesus, you can't pull them apart. For Jesus, you can't love God truly unless you love your neighbor. And for Jesus, you can't love your neighbor truly unless you love God. They they come together. For Jesus to love God is to love a neighbor and to love a neighbor is to love God. Because, and here's the point, the God who loves you is the God who loves your neighbor too. Right? The God who loves you is the God who loves your neighbor too. And this is where mission comes from. Now, let me tell you a story about neighbors. This summer, every day, my wife and I got a text message at 5 p.m. or thereabouts every single day for 25 days. And I'm going to show you what that text message was. It was exactly this. This is a screenshot from my phone. It shows a pin in a map with a bubble that says, I'm checking in. Everything is okay. I'm checking in. Everything is okay. Now, it came from our son. Our son has a satellite device that he can press a button and it will automatically generate that text and that image on our phones every day. What we were told by our son was, if you don't get that within 30 minutes of 5 p.m., please dial 911. Everything is not okay. (laughs) And you're like, well, wait a minute, George. Why would everything not be okay with your son? Actually, that's a very complicated question in our family, so there's just no simple answer to that. But in this case, our son was riding his bicycle from Canada, that's the Canadian border there, all the way down to the border with Mexico in a race all by himself and a solo competitor in a big race with lots of other uh, competitors. He was on a gravel bike. And it is, it's called the Tour Divide. Actually, these are the other riders at that time. They, the Tour provides a tracker and this real-time map so that you can sort of see your progress and your other fans can see it as well. So multiple times each day, my wife and I, we would pull out our phone to look at this map just to see that our son's tracker was moving. I mean, because, I mean he had to carry his, his water and clothing, whatever else he could carry. And there was a lot of dry spots out there between Canada and Mexico and the mountains. But always, always, always at 5 p.m. we would pull out our phones 
No matter what else we were looking at and just wait for that screen to light up. Just wait for that message to pop up that said, I'm checking in, everything is okay. Can you imagine that if you're a parent? I mean, you know that feeling? So late one night, our son Harvey rolls down a long gravel driveway towards a farmhouse in Kalispell, Montana. Now, this is the kind of farmhouse that you just know on the other side of that door, there's a leaning shotgun. But there's a light on. And so he kind of, you know, he sneaks up tentatively and he gets on the doorstep and he knocks on the door and he says, hi, uh, my name is Harvey. I'm riding my bike to Mexico. Would it be possible if I could bed down for the night in your fields? Right? And they're like, what? Well, turns out that night there was a friendly person. There was a farmer there and his wife and they actually invited him in for some warm food and allowed him to roll out his sleeping bag in their field. The next day morning came and this woman came out uh, to the fields. She was on her way to the farmer's market and she had, she's a baker and she had uh, baked goods for Harvey wrapped in paper that she gave him. So here's a, that's my boy. There he is right there. You might've met Harvey before. Um, and you see some of the branding there for, uh, for their bakery, flathead breads. There's a little product placement for them there. Cause I'm so grateful. Cause I am so grateful for this man and this woman who decided that night to love a neighbor. And you know, because they did, for whatever reason, 10 hours later and miles, and 100, 100 miles later, Anna and I will get a text message on our phones with a pin and a map and a bubble that says, I'm checking in, everything is okay. Because of those two farmers. I learned something about neighboring that day. I think that was the moment for me that the penny dropped on what that scholar refers to as Jesus's revolutionary achievement. I, I learned that I can't think of love as a thing in two dimensions. And, you know, as, as though it's like me and God or me and a neighbor. Because look, there are three dimensions here. There's the farmer and the neighbor, the guy on the bike. That's one dimension, but it's not everybody, is it? No because we're watching too, right? As though from above, we kind of have this God's eye view of what's happening there on the ground in Kalispell, Montana. And when that man and that woman decide for, as I say, whatever reason to love a neighbor that night, they loved us too. Though they couldn't possibly know it. They love the unseen couple watching from above the unseen couple praying with all of their hearts that whatever happened that night in Kalispell, the next day their phones would light up. I'm checking in, everything is okay. So it's true. If you love my boy, you love me. If you love anyone I love, you love me. In fact, there isn't anything more that you can do for me in this whole wide world than love someone that I love. And I wonder, maybe it's the same thing with God as well in some small way. Isn't this what Jesus says when he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. Hmm. Jesus loves the scribe. Do you notice that in this story? I hadn't noticed it till this week. Jesus is actually loving the scribe 
as his neighbor and he does it in three dimensions. Notice what he says, verse 34, look at your text again. Jesus says to the scribe at the end of their conversation, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now that, that, that means not just you gave a good answer. That means more than that. That means there's someone else here. There's an unseen party. This interaction you and I are having, Jesus is saying, it's not just between me and you, but actually, actually, there's another dimension. There's an unseen party above. Someone who is deeply invested in this interaction. Someone who is deeply invested in you. Dear scribe, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I think it's beautiful to watch Jesus obeying his own commandment, loving a neighbor with this gentleness. The rule and reign of heaven is near, he says. God is near to you. Do you, do you see Jesus loving a neighbor here? You've got to read this carefully. By the way, this scribe, not an easy guy to love. He's a scribe, which isn't anything wrong in and of itself. But if you've been reading Mark, verse 18 of chapter 11 tells you the chief priests and the scribes kept looking for a way to kill Jesus. This is a deadly little scribe. Right? They've been attacking Jesus in the temple with questions for a chapter and a half. By the time we get to this interaction, they've been sitting in judgment over Jesus. You can even hear this guy sitting in judgment over Jesus. Notice what he says after Jesus gives his answer. What does he say? He says, hey, that's a pretty good answer. You've spoken well, teacher. I almost approve. I'm going to give you a B plus. He's sitting in judgment over Jesus. When in reality, Jesus sits in judgment over him, doesn't he? Except that Jesus chooses not to judge him in this moment. Jesus chooses to offer him a word of affirmation, a word of encouragement, a word of love. Friend, the kingdom of God is near to you. Do you know that? See, Jesus is doing something very powerful here in his warmth, in his kindness, in his patience. He doesn't put him off. He doesn't say, I'm offended. He, he's working on him. He's trying to turn him. He's trying to break him away from this angry pack. See, where Mark sees just a scribe, Jesus sees a neighbor to love. Jesus sees a child of heaven right there in front of him. So he's loving him in three dimensions, right? Maybe he does what we oftentimes do, what I admit I sometimes do. And Jesus could have said to himself, this sour man must have a mother who loves him somewhere. I mean, have you ever done that when someone's crying? Well, they're hard to love now, but maybe there's a mom somewhere who loves them and you try to build some empathy in your heart for that. But Jesus can do more than that. Jesus can do more than that because Jesus knows all about that third dimension. He knows this man has a father in heaven and he knows that father's heart for this man. He knows he has a father right now watching over him with love. This father... He's tracked his whole life when he took his first step, when he was enrolled in the synagogue, when his fiance died, when he climbed a mountain for the first time, when he first saw his uh, crucifixion, when he found a crab, when he got a promotion. This father's been watching over him and leading him and drawing him in. The Bible says, from one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and God allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they or we would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. 
though indeed he's not far from each one of us. See, it's in this sense that Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He's saying to him, the father has set up the dominoes of your life, time and place, so that you would grope for him. Sometimes life is hard and find him though. Oh, there's the payoff. See, the kingdom has come near to you, dear neighbor. I've come from another dimension in love for you. Through me, Jesus says to him, he, your father, is speaking to you right now, looking at you right now, full in the face, so that at the end of the long day, you will make it safely home and be able to say over it all, everything is okay. Is okay. Jesus loves the scribe in three dimensions because he knows that the God who loves you is a God who loves your neighbor too, as only a parent loves a child. And this is why loving neighbors is the heart of our mission at University Presbyterian Church. Remember, one of our five values is sent for others. What we mean by that is we're here for the sake of people beyond ourselves. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here to make UPC a great church. We're here so that UPC would be a servant church, that it would be sent for to serve other people, not us. And you know the word mission, our English word, comes from the Latin word missio, which just means sent. To be on mission is to be sent. Jesus says in the upper room, risen from the dead, he looks at his knee-shaking disciples and he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Go for it, boys. And if they hadn't, you and I wouldn't be here today. They were sent. And so our mission statement says this. It puts God's love for neighbors right at the center. We are a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of neighbors at the University of Washington, in our neighborhoods, wherever God has sent you, and all around the world. This is our mission. Neighbors, loving other people's children. You know, that's what students are, by the way. You students, you're someone else's child, and we're learning to love someone else's children here. And by the way, that's also what your neighbors are. They're someone else's children, and we're sent to love them with God's love, the way he's loved us. That person across the street, down the hall, upstairs from you, they may not have yet experienced the new birth, but we know it's God's purpose and plan for them, don't we? That's what he wants for them, that they would become part of God's family. They may not know that yet, but you know that, and you know that your job is for them to feel that love already so that they want that. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about a vision that the Lord gave the Apostle Paul for his neighbors. It's in Acts 18. Paul has come into Corinth, which is, which is in, in Greece. And if you know anything about Corinth, it was kind of a, it was a rough town. It was a sailor town. It was hard to love people in that town. In fact, that town was giving Paul a real hard time. And he was ready to throw the towel in and probably ready to leave town altogether when the Lord gave him a vision from above. It's like time and space opened up and all of a sudden there was the Lord speaking in a vision, a dream, I don't know, to, to Paul. And the Lord said this, do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent for I'm with you. 
No one will lay a hand on you to harm you. For there are, and this, listen to this, there are many in this city who are my people. There are many in this city who are armed. And that's the first time the gospel has come to Corinth. But already the Lord is claiming people in the city. Paul's, he's saying, Paul, you don't see it. They don't see it. You don't know who they are. They don't even know who they are, but they're my people. And so Paul, do not lose heart. Do not leave town. I put you in this city right now. And I put them in this city right now because I've got a plan for you to love them so that they can know that I love them too. And that's how it works. The Lord is saying to us, when the people I love, love their neighbors, those neighbors discover that I love them too. That's the mission. That's what makes these two inseparable commandments the greatest of all the others. When the people I love, love their neighbors, those neighbors discover that I love them too. All right, so let me show you another slide. This is another map. This is where God has put us. That's where you live. We got a little pin there for, for you probably right here. This is a God's eye view of Seattle and UPC where we live. And this is amazing. Just look at that for a second. Look at where the Lord has put us. I mean, what would happen? Just imagine what would happen if everyone at one of those blue pins just intentionally began to love neighbors the way God has loved us in Jesus Christ. What would happen? Neighbors. Not talking about abstractions here, by the way. I know some people read this generally like neighbors, just like everybody. But if it's everybody, it's nobody. Let's take Jesus literally here. Jesus is talking about your flesh and blood neighbor, the actual person who lives down the hall. Yeah, that gamer guy, right, who, who sleeps during the day and is awake all night. Or the lady who lives upstairs who bangs her broom on the floor every time your music is too loud. Or the family behind you that shares a fence with you. Or the builder up the street with a fancy car. The gay couple, the skateboarder, the guy on the cardboard, these are your neighbors. These are our neighbors. And what we learn from the scripture is that whoever they are, they are someone deeply, deeply loved by God. They're a child of a heavenly parent. Oh my gosh. I put you there, Jesus says, I put you there so that through your love, They'll know, that person will know, I love them too. Which brings us to the question of the morning. And the question is, how am I showing up to love my neighbors? Would you reflect on that for a moment? How am I showing up to love my neighbors? How do I want to show up to love my neighbors? In fact, I'd like to ask you to pull out your phone. Would you please pull out your phone, a piece of paper. And I'd like you to identify one step this fall that you, that you could take to help you love neighbors more. Okay, what's your growing edge here? Would you put something down? Now, I know there's somebody in the room who's gonna say, George, I am so wounded right now, I have nothing to give anybody. So I can't right now love a neighbor. And that's fair, if that's you, that's okay. What I wanna encourage you to do is look at the steps that we've talked about these last few weeks. Okay, there's some steps that you need to take in there to get yourself in a place where we can love you. Go back and listen to those messages. Because as a church family, we want to get our arms around you. We want to pray for you. We want to walk with you through, through this challenge that you're going through. We want to love you in tangible, practical ways as a church family. But as we do that, now this is for everybody, don't forget Jesus' promise. Mark has already written it down in his gospel. Here's what Jesus says. This is Mark 4, 24. The measure you give will be the measure you get. 
Did you get that? The measure you give will be the measure you get and still more will be given to you. See how abundantly generous Jesus is, how overflowing his love is. So the question we're thinking about today is, what do you want to give your neighbor? How do you want to give to your neighbor this fall? Put something down. Uh, Write something down on your phone. It might be learning the names of your neighbors. That's a good place. Not just the dogs, the neighbors. It might be taking a walk with one of the neighbors or the dogs uh, each month. It might be baked goods. Maybe sharing a meal. You got to eat somehow, right? Invite yourself over for lunch at their house. How about that? Or sharing a ride or caregiving, mowing some grass, going to a game. It might be, this is a powerful one, praying for a neighbor. One neighbor each day or one neighbor each week. Imagine what would happen. Here's what I wrote down. Ann and I, uh, we we host the neighborhood breakfast uh, twice a month. But I'm going to add to that because of where I am right now. So what I put down, I have, I have this, I've written these all down for myself. So under, for my mission uh, commitment, it's this. I want to find ways to serve those in need with my neighbors. In other words, I want to invite my neighbors to serve other neighbors together with me. I think it'll be good for me and it'll be good for them and, of course, for the neighbors that get served in that way. So I, what's, what is it for you? Please put something down. How do you want to show up to love your neighbors? Put something on that list of the other commitments you're making this fall uh, to grow in vital signs. Finally, let me say this. God knows all about what it's like to have a son in danger. He knows what my wife and I went through. He understands what you're going through. See, because he's the creator and he sees it all from above. He hears from above the cries of humanity all the pain, all the misery, all the injustice on this beautiful, beloved planet. He hears it when we cry out, everything is not okay. And as we cry in that way, this creator feels the wounds most deeply in himself because he loves. God so loved the world, he sent his son. And that's why we're here today, isn't it? I mean, let's just think about that for a second. He sent his son from another dimension. As one translator says, Jesus took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And so now as the creator watches, now as the father from heaven watches his own son, the son of God, there's a pin on the map that is now the son of God moving across our planet, moving through time and space, moving through danger. A virgin mother, a military occupation, adversaries, betrayers, the shadow of the cross. And here is the father asking himself every day, every moment, how is my son right now? Is he lonely? Is he laughing? With every smile on Jesus' face, it's the Father who's rejoicing. With every tear in Jesus' eye, it's the Father who's grieving. With every blow upon Jesus' back, it's the Father who feels the deepest pain in his own heart. Until at last, the Son is lifted up and he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Everything is not okay. Words this father knew he must one day hear. Words this father knew he might not be able to endure. But he knows there is a purpose and a plan 
for the pain. See, he, he knows that he has set up the dominoes of history in love. Love for you and me. Because this father has been watching over your life as well. I mean, you might not even believe in him, but he's watching. Your tracker has been lighting up his phone for eternity through your joys and sorrows, through your pain and pleasure. And he feels it even more than you do from your birth to this very moment. Think about it. One day, Jesus said, everything is not okay to his father so that Today, you and I can say to, to that same father, everything is okay. He did it for you. He did it for me. He went to the cross because ultimately that's where our sin would lead us. That's where it's heading. Apart from the grace of God, everything is not okay for us. And so the kingdom of God came near to you and to me. And that's the good news. In the Gospel of Mark, for example, Jesus comes. He says, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Mark 2, 17. In Mark 10, 45, he says, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. See, he, said, I, I, he died for our sin. Jesus hung above the world to say, everything is not okay, so that you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, can say, I'm checking in. I'm checking in. I'm checking in and everything is okay. And friends, that's the real revolutionary achievement. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, wow. What love. Our hearts are too small even to perceive it. Uh, today you brought us here to church and um, we just take a moment to check in with you um, because we know that you've been watching us and um, haven't forgotten us and that you're so eager to know how we're doing right now. So we check in and we, we just tell you that we're here and we're hearing your word and we're, we're wanting to respond with faith. Help, help us in our unbelief. Would you give us faith? Now for some of us, this is old news, but it's still good news. And for some of us, this is new news and it's sort of shocking. And there's something inside of us that the Bible will call faith and it's unfamiliar. And we're, we're ready to actually say yes to Jesus. Yes, I want this. Yes, I want to know that in my soul for all of eternity, standing before a holy God, everything is okay. I want the freedom and joy and peace of that. Friend, if that's you today, I would invite you to pray this prayer with us. Pray this prayer. You can say it silently, but the Lord will hear. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for coming down to our dimension Thank you for taking on flesh and blood. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for breaking the power of death and abolishing it for all time. Thank you that you love me. You know my name. You know what I'm going through. Thank you that you, you set me free from sin and death. And that when I look into your eyes, I don't see any judgment. I don't have to fear. I could see a God who loves me. So today I say yes to you. I say yes to Jesus. 
for me to check in with you today is to say, I have faith in Christ, not in myself, in him, the savior. And Lord, we pray today, whether we've been walking with you for a lifetime or only just now beginning to take our first step, that you would give us an assurance, an encouragement that the kingdom of God has indeed come nearer to us. And because of that, everything's changed. Everything has changed. May it be to your glory in Christ's name. Amen.